Tales Broken, stories of renovation, romance, and regret. Just like there's phases in a marriage, you know, you got the honeymoon phase. And then I guess after the honeymoon wears off, you've got kind of reality and and then you get into disillusionment. And if you make it out of that phase, you, you get to acceptance. I guess the same could be said for renovating a house. You know, once we stuck our key in the temperamental lock in the front door and we realized that the house was ours, you know, it was like the world was full of possibilities. Talk was cheap. We could do anything we wanted. Couldn't you just see kitchen cabinets in here like... We'd have them custom made to look like the buffet. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mark said. I'm like, yeah, granite countertops. We could knock out this wall. We could have an island. We could have, uh, you know, those pendant lights that look like shop lights that are also very, like, chic right now. In the upstairs bathroom, oh, man, we could get a clawfoot tub. We could put in one of those toilets with the tank that's mounted near the ceiling that you have to flush with a long pole chain. Yeah. We promised the house that we'd have all the missing leaded glass windows remade by artisans that we hadn't even met yet. Oh, wait. Oh, and let's turn the parlor into a library. Yeah. We could have one of those ladders, you know, that goes around like they had in My Fair Lady. Oh, floor-to-ceiling bookcases with a secret panel that led to... Ah, to be determined. We decided that we weren't going to live in a museum, and yet we weren't going to go all minimalist and paint everything white. We wanted to kind of coax the house into the 20th century, but be respectful of her 19th century roots. And we would do all these renovations with the $11,000 that we got from the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Association. To get the money, we had to agree to live in the house for five years, but I thought, totally doable. I mean, we'll be done by then. And then we'd, what, sell? Get another old house? Fix that up? Oh, by that time, I'm sure we would be able to afford to have people come in and do all the work for us. Because... I guess I still had the words of Sheila, the real estate agent, in my head that she had predicted that we were young, and in seven years we'd be making scads more money. I didn't, I didn't believe her, but I kind of wanted to. As part of the closing contract, we had asked Kevin to remove the outbuilding, that wire wheel, and this freezer that was in the basement that I was sure held a dead body. And he promised he would, and yeah, he he had, technically. He, he piled the rusted corrugated pieces of the outbuilding onto the slab in the back of the alley. I, they said it had been the site of a former barn, Okay, sure. And then he rolled the wire wheel next to that, and he overturned the chest freezer on top of that, and it it became like this siren song, beckoning all from far and wide to come and dump their chest freezers, unwanted sofas, tires. There was a ringer washing machine, box springs, something I guess that at one point had been a shelf, a bed frame maybe? 
There were several black plastic bags full of clothing that had been sliced open. Their colorful contents oozed out like intestines from bloated roadkill. I I had seen these people pushing shopping carts full of cans up and down the alley, and I thought, oh, gee, well, maybe they'll, like, take some of the, the pile of crap from behind the house. But no, they just poked around, and they pulled things out, and then, you know, decided to take a pass. There were these streams of blue jeans that flowed freely from the crags. Styrofoam packing peanuts covered the peaks like freshly fallen snow. We had to park the truck in the foothills. It was streetcar named Desire, hot and humid. I was not convinced that all of our worldly goods, you know, lamps, dishes, towels, bedding, my butcher block table, boxes of unopened baseball cards because they'll be worth more, and they're supposed to put our future children through college, Uh, neon beer signs, plastic milk crates full of record albums, two turntables, one that worked, a stereo receiver that we couldn't tune in because... I don't know, it had something called Dirty Pots. There were two huge shipping crate-sized speakers with exposed air raid siren-sized woofers. This is what happens when heterosexual men are left to their own devices to decorate their apartments. We had a small refrigerator that was covered with bumper stickers, textbooks, art supplies, a sewing machine, and Mark's waterbed, but... We didn't want to set it up in the upstairs bedroom because back in 1887 or 89, whatever, I'm sure the house wasn't built to hold a capacity of the weight of a waterbed. So we had to come up with another sleeping arrangement. And it was a good thing that two weeks earlier, my rummage-aholic sister had phoned me and said, get your ass over here. It's a major going out of business sale. What is it? Department store? Furniture? A hardware store? No, a convent. Mark had given me $20 and a caveat. Don't buy anything we can't use. Okay. Well, we could have used file cabinets, kitchen chairs, and bookcases. All had been reasonably priced and were in good condition. And... I would have bought any number of them, but two metal framed twin beds with mattresses that had been slept on by nuns? Yes, please. They were the last things to go on the moving truck. And once everything was in and secured, Mark pulled the latch. Anything relegated to the downstairs came through the kitchen door. Things destined for the second floor went up the rickety outdoor back stairs that my crime-fighting father had pointed out was an easy access for a ne'er-do-well to do his or her ne'er-do-welling. You know, these back stairs, they got to come down ASAP, I said. And Mark was like, uh, no. I'm like, no. What do you mean, no? He says, have you ever tried to move an eight-foot-by-four-foot piece of drywall and turn a corner? Uh, well, okay, point taken. We hadn't taken any breaks for lunch because Mark said, hey, once you sit down and start eating, you're not going to get back up again. 
So we just powered through and pushed boxes within two feet of any doorway. He went to get something to eat. I told him I would make up the nun beds. I figured we'd tape the legs together with gaffer's tape, like contestants in a three-legged race. I was almost inside this deep box of bedding when I felt like I wasn't alone. He was like linebacker big. Okay, I shouldn't have made eye contact or smiled because I'm sure that's the thing his defense attorney is going to use to get his sentence for first-degree murder reduced to manslaughter, or in this case, woman slaughter. He swayed, and he took a step closer to me. Okay, all right. Is there anything I can use as a weapon of self-defense? Oh, where is my Jansen's art history book when I need it? The only thing I've got is this fitted sheet, and... (gasps) I don't want to use it because it took so long for me to fold the damn thing. He he took several wavering turns around the back bedroom, and then he stood over me, like, like right over me. Had I stood up, we'd be last dance at prom close, so I stayed put. And I looked at him and I said, um, can I help you? Yeah, is there like anything I can get for you to make this murder easier? I mean, no, no, it's no trouble. I'll go down into the kitchen and get a knife. No, you stay here, relax. Would you prefer serrated or do you want like a uh, chef's knife? And the guy says to me, uh, yeah, this is pretty nice. Are you going to rent this or what? Um, I could use a husband right now. Where is he? He said he was just going to go and get some McDonald's. I mean, come on. It's fast food. What's taking him so long? Finally, Mark comes home, bounds up the steps. Uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Is Mark going to, like, throw down the bag of hamburgers and demand to know what this guy's up here doing with his wife? The guy repeats the question. He wants to know if we're going to rent this place. Oh, no, Mark says. Oh, no, sorry, dude. Dude? And then Mark explains to him that, no, no, we just bought the house and we're moving in. And he takes him on a, on a casing of the place tour, pointing out the woodwork, the stained leaded glass windows that still are in the staircase. And, and the invited guest says, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to sell those, I got a guy who'll pay you in cash or weed, whatever you prefer. And then I see Mark and the guy out back shaking hands, you know, giving each other pats on the back like they've just become best buds. Well, I got the beds together and uh, sheets on them. And I just, I could hardly even eat. I was so tired and filthy and sweaty. Mark showered in the upstairs horror movie shower stall that had gotten a stay of execution. I took a camping-style bath in the downstairs bathtub that no amount of cleanser could clean. Camping-style, you know, squatting, splashing the soapy water where I needed it to go, followed by a quick rinse. And then we both crawled into our separate but equal nun beds. The spring squeaked and squawked as Mark found a comfortable spot, his pillow, just so. See, he's a sheets 
have to be untucked person and I am a sheets have to be tucked in. I like to feel swaddled. I like the weight of comforters on me. He he can sleep with just a wisp of a sheet. I don't know how sleeping together became synonymous with having sex. I mean, to me, sleeping together is sleeping together. You know, having sex is having sex. I prefer sleeping in separate beds. I mean, it would just be so much easier. It was hot. There was no air circulation. The sheets stuck to my legs. I felt like a human seal a meal. Plus, there was this street light directly in my eye. I said, Mark, are you awake? Uh, kind of, he said. Um, I, I got to ask you a question. Well, remember earlier when you went to get us some food and then you came home and there was that guy in the back bedroom? Remember that? Uh, yeah. Why? Did you not care that I had almost practically could have been murdered? Well, yeah, but you weren't, he says. I'm like, well, what if that guy had a knife? Yeah, well, he didn't. What if he had a gun? Yeah, but he didn't. Well, let's say he had. Would you have put up a fight? I mean, doesn't every woman want to know that even though I abhor violence of any kind, I would kind of like to know that at least Mark would throw a punch when it, you know, to save me. He, I, I counted one, two, I counted 10 seconds before he answered. I, I don't know, he said. What, you don't know? What do you mean you don't know? He says, I, I, I hate hypotheticals. I, I guess I could have given points for not lying, but come on. You hate hypotheticals? He didn't answer me. Mark, Mark. He snored like an unmufflered Harley Davidson. That gap, that 10-second gap between me asking him the question, if he would come to my defense, and him answering he didn't know, was, was like the Nixon tape gap. Maybe it was even worse. I think in that 10-second gap, a small fissure developed in our marital bond. God, was the honeymoon over already? Well, that's it for this chapter of Housebroken. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. You can find it on iTunes. I think you just have to search for Housebroken Podcast. I don't know. Or you can go to my website, melcmiskimmon.com. That's M-E-L-C-M-I-S-K-I-M-E-N.com. And you can get it there. Um, Thanks for bearing with me.